AnteUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AnteUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AnteUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's May 25th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, Scott, what's new at the World Series this year? There's never anything new at the World Series. All right, let's move on. right? Oh, we always uh, one thing we always say uh, positively about the World Series is every year they try to make it a little bit different, a little bit better, right. and uh, it's always uh, up to interpretation whether they do that or not. But we can never say that they don't try every year, right? Right. So um, we're getting ready uh, to start here. It starts in a couple days, so um, I figure we just run down a list of what's new this year for everybody who's making the pilgrimage uh, out to the World Series of Poker. Sounds right. good. Nine new bracelet events, including the $365 PLO Giant. I'd love to be at that one. <laughs> uh, the Big Blind Ante will be used in eight bracelet events and in all 4 and 10 p.m. daily deep stack events. Uh, shared online liquidity means players in New Jersey and Delaware can compete in WSOP online events. Shot clocks will be used in three events with buy-ins of $50,000 or more. So I'm hoping to uh, uh, have a lot of our podcast listeners let us know how that went. <laughs> That's an interesting one. We're going to go through the whole list and go back, I'm assuming. So that that's something that's very interesting to me. I don't know. Do you want to stop and talk about that, or you want to go through the whole list? Uh, let's go through the whole list, and we'll yeah. go back to that one. Okay. All right. uh, so you'll get 5,000 more chips to start in all daily deep stacks, and three of them have bigger buy-ins this year. A new player of the year formula will weight uh, wins and final tables more heavily. Uh, the WSOP Cafe has been expanded, and I'm sure prices have gone up. <clears throat> um <laughs> The uh, King's Lounge High Roller will feature three tournaments with buy-ins of $25,000 or more each weekend. It's a lot of money out yeah, there. jeez. Uh, U.S. players using their passports will need to provide an additional government-issued ID. And the UMG eSports stage will feature gaming action. Wow. A lot going on. Um, all right, so the shot clock's one. That's interesting to me because if you're paying fifty grand to be in an event, I think you want to take your time with decisions. <laughs> That's a very good point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, those are the ones that you think, okay, the $1,000 buy-in, shot clock, $500 buy-ins for, you know, deep stack events or something, but you're ponying up fifty grand or more. Or more. So Hurry up and make your decision. Day. Yeah, and it's the, the big one, uh, big one for the, or big drop, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the million-dollar buy-in one will be uh, using the shot clock, I believe. Wow. Wow. As will the little one for the drop of ones. <laughs> it's like uh, under thousand, right? So. Yeah. So that's the two charity ones or whatever, and then there's one left. So don't even tell me the players' championship at shot clock because that's just no, nah, no. Nah, well, hmm, maybe, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But um, uh, no, that's a very good point. I mean, I guess I would, uh, if you want me to play devil's advocate, uh, I would say 
Uh, there's a lot of players out there that would like to see shot clocks introduced to poker because they're getting tired of the rampant tanking. Um, so it's a good idea, I would argue, to attempt it in a small field to get feedback rather than just throwing it into like the main event and have 8,000 people whine about it, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, there. I mean, there is going to be some complain in there i i don't know i i mean maybe they, they have to know what they're getting into so they can't complain or they can't complain but they have to know but yeah there's gonna be oh, some people, always complain. yeah yeah there's gonna be some people <laughs> was great. not happy with that shot clock of course i don't know how long it is was it 30 seconds minute uh, that i don't know yeah, <clears throat> but yeah it just seems odd to pick that buy-in amount or more and this got to be a record for buy-ins over 25 grand in one world series yeah, I mean, think about this. Back when the World Series started, it was $10,000 to buy into uh, the main event, which I think when it started was the only event, right? Yeah, and, it was the biggest of all, too. And that was a lot of money back then, no matter how good of a poker player you were, right? And yep. then, so here we are now, 2018. That event's still 10000 and it should, I think. Uh, but now we're talking million-dollar buy-ins, <laughs> plus three fifty or twenty-five k or more. Every week, or 50 k uh, every weekend, yeah, so, just crazy. Just it's crazy. insane. Where's that money coming from? Yeah, yeah, certainly not coming from online poker. Well, it, it could be coming from online poker overseas, right? <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe this is our attempt as America to suck that money back into our poker economy. <laughs> well, they're hoping that all the uh, Michigan bad beat winners are going to show up apparently with their million dollar buying so hey listen uh what does this u.s players need more than just their passports what what does that mean scott if they use their passport as id if you you know if you use just your driver's license and your player's club card you're fine that's all you need but uh, apparently some players were using their passports and not a driver's license or a government ID card, and I, I don't really know what the deal is. I don't know if it's an extra security feature or not. I don't know. Which is hilarious, because passports supposed to be the the end-all, be-all of security for proving who you are. Uh, but they'll get true, yep. but a driver's license, which is basically, you know, kids make fake IDs out of them, have to get, get drinking when they're underage, you know. I, I just don't get it. I don't see why a passport <laughs> isn't enough to prove who you are in our own country. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's some kind of back house reason for it, but all right. Um, now I always uh, uh, I'm always uh, picking on the WSOP Cafe, right? Um, and I'm sure a bottle of soda is still fourteen dollars or whatever it is that I made up in my mind out there. But um, I, I, I will uh, give credit where credit's due, and um, they, it's interesting this year that they they brought more live action stations in. They used to have like just a couple the last time I was out there. And they're rotating it every day, so you don't get sick of the same food every day for players that are out there for the entire series. So, you know, it might be fall one day, or ramen the next day, and then, I don't know, pasta the next day. So that's pretty cool. And they added uh, more seating and charging stations and all that kind of stuff. So I'll give them credit for that. Um, I'll give them a lot of credit when they actually charge a reasonable price for a soda. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the big bland Andy. We already talked about that, but uh, you know, I, I just talked with um, uh, Ben Irwin at uh, Thunder Valley, and he's adding a couple more big blind Andys uh, to our Andy Up World Championship coming up as well, too. So, cool. I know some people that uh, aren't in favor of this. Some people are going to be think it's awkward when they're playing, but I, I really think this is going to actually take off. And uh, I, I'm going to imagine a couple years we're not going to be talking about how many events have the big blind Andy because it's just going to be 
standard operating procedure. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like that's the way it's going to go. It makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, and I'm very happy about the new player of the year formula because I'm tired of making final tables and it having not mean anything. <laughs> you know, I make all these final well, tables, but I lose some guy who cashes 30 times. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but they're always, this is what I, we say it every year, and I know we're, we're being redundant, but they're always changing. They're always trying to make it better. Um, some things fail, some things don't, but it's so cool that I just wonder when they're going to cap it. Like, when are they going to say, all right, 80 events is enough or 100 events? You know what I mean? What's the number, the magic number where they're like, all right, we've done it. We've broken poker, you know, or <laughs> or something, it. you know? I mean, we, we just wrote our uh, publisher's column for this, this issue about how many, how poker is still thriving. It, clearly, people can afford... $25,000 buy-ins three times a weekend, every weekend throughout the World Series, and then, you know, spend 50 k on events where they're hurried. Uh, I think poker's still alive uh, and doing okay. So, But we just wrote about how many events are out there. It's remarkable. Every single, basically every single property has a poker room, has something going on, it seems like, some sort of series, and it's, it's fantastic. Um, but there's going to be a point where the World Series is going to have to say, okay, we've reached our limit. Now let's make these the best, you know, or something. It's it's just, uh, it's a lot of events. It is, it is. But, you know, again, as long as the market bears, that's, yeah, that's what no, I know. The market, and, and market will decide at some yeah, point. That's what I'm saying. Nice. I just wonder. Well, what the other interesting thing, too, a couple more interesting ones that we have on the show notes here in a minute, but I also remembered, um, I picked a good year not to go to the series, I think. Yeah. Uh, the some of the major unions voted yesterday to authorize a strike um, of hotel workers. Now, it's not definitely going to happen, but it could happen if they don't get their contract the way they want to by June 1st. So, And it's uh, housekeepers, bartenders. Uh, there weren't any gaming uh, people in there as far as I know. So, But uh, if you're staying in a hotel yeah. and they have a strike, there's going to be a lot of uh, cranky players <laughs> in these events. With greasy Coffee. hair. You're going to be very happy if you went the Airbnb route this year rather than hotels. So hopefully that all works out. No one likes strikes and everything, but uh, but I thought that was an interesting time of year to uh, to do it. So wow. All right, so uh, Chris Jesus Ferguson has released a 42 second video apologizing for not being able to stop Black Friday and says he looks forward to the day when the whole full tilt poker story is told. Then wishes everyone good luck. It's posted on the Any Up Fans page on Facebook, or you can search for it on Vimeo.com. Uh, all right, so I am the least cynical person you'll meet, uh, which makes us a good yin and yang, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around the timing of this, other than the fact that he's going to be playing at the series this right. year and is, is tired of people saying, why haven't you apologized? Now he can say, I apologize. Right. Am I being too cynical on that? No, it, it's. I think it's pretty obvious that's what is going on here. I think he got a lot of backlash for showing up at the was it like a WSOPC event or something before we talked oh. about, and then so I think it's obvious. Right, days before the World Series, you know he's going to play in the World Series, and it's interesting when you think about if he had apologized right away, they still would have said, you know, screw you. You right. Call my money or whatever, and then if he doesn't do it, they say, "Why didn't you do it? I want an apology." And then you do apologize, and they say, "Screw you! You took all my money." So there, there's no win for this guy. Uh, and I, like I said, I'm not. I, I'm. I know I'm the 
the cynical of the two of us. I, and I'm not defending anything, obviously, because a lot of people were hurt, and it's ridiculous what happened. But um, I don't think there's any win situation for this guy. So he's saying, look, you know, you're all mad at me for not apologizing, and I knew there was a no-win situation for me, so I didn't apologize. But now it seems like everyone wants me to, and it's been a few years, and I like to get out of my life and play poker. So here I am apologizing. It's an odd statement, too, about – I mean, 42 seconds was – interesting too is pretty short but i guess i don't want to sit there and stare on his face for three hours either but um <laughs> you know he he uh he talks about not being able to stop black friday and it is it it's it, it wasn't just black you know what i mean he it wasn't just full tilt poker it was a lot of well, things yeah. and a couple of interesting things part about that one yeah i mean no one knew black black friday was coming i, I i'm hoping he just mangled his words there and Right, was trying to say he couldn't stop what was going to happen had a Black Friday happen. Right. He, he had some control over the full tilt thing, but he certainly doesn't have any control over the U.S. government. Right. right? So, um, but yeah, it's... Uh, oh, you know, I, I always want to give people credit for apologizing. You know, I'm not one of these people that... It's fine if you want to criticize someone for uh, the apology not being enough, or being too late, but I always prefer somebody to to apologize rather than not apologize. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I will give him credit for that. Um, it is an interesting timing thing, you know. If he was going to do this, I, I if I was advising him, I would have told him to do it in March or something. And yeah. So now you have less cynicism. There's still going to be cynicism, but it'd be less cynicism because now it's not like, oh yeah, he's just doing it so people don't harass him. But uh, people are still going to harass him, right? Oh sure. Not going to change that. So. Sure. I mean, there might be a few that he may have placated who might say, you know what, I was going to get out of my chair and run over there and yell at him, but he apologized, so I'm going to stay here and play my big blind. You know, so who knows? Well, that's um, a good point. I mean, for some people, that's all it takes. Yeah. The principle that, you know, they just want an apology. And once you apologize, then not that everything goes away or you're all hunky-dory, but they no longer feel the need to have any hostility towards you. So is that. Now, the, the most interesting thing to me is uh, he's looking forward to the day when the whole full tilt poker story could be told, as we all are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that indicates to me that there, and I guess it's not a big surprise, but that uh, there is a lot to be told about this, and there's some reason that people can't talk about it right now. Yeah, it sounds like that. I mean, I don't know if it's NDO, you know, I, I don't know if that's what, it, or NDA, or whatever they call it, non-disclosure, but I, um, sure. yeah, I just, I don't know what uh, what the deal is, but it's it's interesting that there's still stuff to be told. Like there, and I wonder what. And it's funny that you said. I mean, I wonder what that stuff is, and is it stuff that could get them in trouble again? I, I mean, I don't know. Probably not. It's probably not that. It's just there's a lot of stuff that people speculated on and then no one had, they couldn't, they never said anything on their side. And that's the problem with not communicating with us all this time either is that you start to make up your own mind about what things happen and stuff, you know? Well, that's also the problem. If there's a reason that people can't talk that you get frustrated, right? You know, if for whatever reason we were embroiled in some kind of legal thing where our attorneys told us we couldn't speak, that would kill me. If I, if I'm watching social media where people complain about us not being able to say anything, yeah, we literally can't. So um, have some uh, compassion for that as well, too. But it's been a long time now. So I'm, I'm wondering how much longer it needs, whatever is holding this back, um, it'll take before it gets through it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see how this works out. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be 
plenty of social media posts about there's Jesus or whatever and blah blah blah. But um, I don't know. He made an attempt, and I'm like, I'm with you. I'm in your camp with that whole. Hey, you know what he he's saying? He's sorry. He's trying to move on with his life. Everyone should be able to have a chance to move on with their life. Um, but uh, I don't know. I want to uh, stay tuned. I want to see what happens. <laughs> All right, the Free Rolls Poker Club in Houston will be running commercials from advertisers on its poker tables. The club has 35 advertisers signed and hopes to have 100 by the time it hopes a WPT Deep Stack series in September. I guess we shouldn't be surprised this was going to happen, right? No, a matter of fact, a long time ago, I thought it was going to happen on those. Remember they had those little screens on the tables? They were little small screens, yeah. right? I well, thought years ago yeah. it was going to happen. Really surprised that like Bravo and some of these companies that already are doing that technology for the table haven't also come up with uh, something similar on the other side of the table to do this, right? I mean, maybe that's what's going on now, but um, I, I would imagine if it's a Bravo product, it'd be being rolled out everywhere. But um, but it seems like the technology for this was there already. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the surprising thing to me is it took this long. So. Um, and I gotta say, um, I you know I know people were like overloaded with media and then getting bombarded with advertising and all that. But there are certain spots where it it seems to make sense, and I don't mind it as much. Um, one, uh, you know, when I'm pumping gas, I love when I'm at a gas station and they have like the, the news on or something because right. I got nothing else to do at that point. I don't want to be pulling my phone out and sparking some fire. So uh, that's a good place to catch me. Um, and uh, minute, everybody's uh, fidgety at the table. I mean, everybody's already on their phones and uh, tablets and all that at the table. So it's it's a captive audience there. So. Is it going to uh, be audio though? That's the thing. It, yeah, I would imagine it would have to be right. So maybe it's maybe it's when the hands over the dealer pushes a button and uh, an ad starts while they're shuffling. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, because that that's going to be a problem. If if it's just like the screen is embedded in the table and they're just flashing you images that, you know, like commercials with no sound or whatever, that's one thing. But if you got a guy and they're going, "Hey, do you want to raise money to <laughs> help fight cancer?" and then all of a sudden the dealer's like, "Okay, we got to raise over here." "Hey, I didn't raise." <laughs> You said raise. No, I didn't say raise. Yeah, I heard him say raise. I heard raise. Did you hear raise? I heard raise. Oh, you got to raise now. I didn't say raise. No, it was the commercial. It's the commercial. Can we rewind the commercial? Can we hear the commercial again? You know, I don't think you should have audio. Plus, when people are, you know, talking and communicating and stuff, and you're having a silent moment, and you're like, all right, I got to think this hand through here. Hold on. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, do you want a greener lawn? Come on. What the hell? You know, I'm trying to concentrate, and I got this commercial blaring at the table, so... I don't know. That audio might be a problem if there's audio. That's a good point. I mean, I guess we'll see how it works out. But um, uh, pretty impressive that they found 35 advertisers, all local as well, too, which obviously makes sense. Um, But uh, kudos for, um, you know, breaking out of the mold here. And this Free Rolls Poker Club, actually, if people want to read this article, is on PokerNews.com. Very interesting because um, we talked about the Texas market and how um, unstable it is. Uh, this club is actually doing things a little bit different. They're very um, uh, sold on the fact that uh, they are doing this completely legal, and they're inviting the lawmakers and other people to come to the club and watch it and make sure that they know. Uh, but their whole model is on franchising, and so they're hoping to franchise their, their club model all over Texas. So uh, that's another very interesting um, business um, development. 
Well, the, the 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 big thing is that they have convinced WPT DeepStacks that it's legal enough to bring their series there. Yeah, be comfortable. And I and I saw the announcement on that. And that was actually mentioned. And uh, Chris Trina, you know, one of our friends that runs it now, he said hey, he was convinced that uh, the way they're doing it is is legal. So, um, but uh, but yeah. So you know, with the business model there, where you can't make money like a traditional poker room, you know, from players and rakes and and things like that. And they don't do seat rentals there as well either. That's why they feel like they're a little bit more um, compliant with with walk. Um, you got to find other ways of, of developing revenue, and if you can do that and demonstrate it, franchise is a great way to go now. Now, now you made it easy for someone because you know probably a lot of demand out there for people to run their own poker room. I mean, yeah, if they're doing it right, then you just follow their model and you won't get in trouble. Yeah. So. Hey, any updates? Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, we have four upcoming Annie Up Poker Tour stops with five opportunities to play your way onto the cover of Annie Up Magazine. Here's where we are going next. Annie Up World Championship and Annie Up NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort in Lincoln, California, July 7th to the 29th. Annie Up Poker Tour at Atlantis Casino Resort and Spa in Reno, Nevada, August 16th to the 26th. The Deep, De- Deep Stack Series at the Venetian Las Vegas, September 3rd to the 23rd. And Pearl uh, River Poker Open at Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, October 25th to November 4th. What a schedule. Yeah. Big time, baby. Well, nice that's all lined up there. Nice. Uh, also, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Andy Up in your home area, apply at AndyUpMagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in the Northeast and Michigan. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast.antietmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Antiet Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. comes from Sam in Indiana. He says, we were playing a 1-2 No Limit Hold'em home game and I raised preflop with the Ace of Spades, King of Spades and get two callers. I bet the entire way, and with a final board of four clubs, eight of spades, queen of spades, eight of clubs, queen of clubs, my lone opponent, who is our rules guy in our game, checks to me with a bit of disgust on his face. I bet $131. He exclaims, you know exactly what I have. Now the question is, do you have me beat? Or are you just betting because you know that I know that you know what I have? (laughs) <laughs> and will make a bad fold. I sat silent and let him talk talk it out. He then turned his hand over, seven of hearts, eight of hearts, and said, I don't think I can fold. He then made two stacks of four $25 chips side by side and put $31 on top of them. After another minute, he pushed the stack out without saying anything. I then questioned, you raise? Uh, he responded, uh, his response was immediately no, he ca- I called and reached out and took back $100. I said, no, that's a raise. You didn't say anything and put over half the original bet into the pot. He agreed and angrily put the $100 back with an additional $31. I said, I'm not trying to angle you, but if anyone else would have done the same thing, it would be a raise. He said, I know, I'm just pissed at myself for not being able to count. Now that I know I'm beat, I have to decide to give up or raise. I settled on a $400 raise. He instantly folded. He was tilted for the next hour, and I felt kind of bad because I knew he wanted to call. 
Obviously, he would never show his hand and then raise. Still not sure if I was out of line by making him raise. I know rules are rules, but should I have taken into consideration his intentions since I knew his hand? I bet he'll be less likely to show his cards before acting in the future. For reference, if he would have min raised without showing, I would have folded. Uh, how I responded was poker is a game of um, actions, and um, so when you make a mistake, um, <clears throat> as, a, as an opponent, you should take advantage of that mistake, right? So um, I, I certainly don't blame Sam for, one, calling out the fact that it was a raise that should have been done and then making him complete the raise. And then at that point, he knows he's beat, as he said, so he has that decision to make, and I think the only decision really to make is to raise and try to win this pot, and obviously his his friend was upset about it, and uh, was upset at himself, I think, is what my impression of it is, and folded, and so, you know, Sam used all the information at his disposal and won the pot, and I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, I, you and I had one of our biggest fights ever over something like this back in a long yes. time ago. Yes. And it was it was the exact opposite of what you just said now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm the person. <laughs> you're gross. Oh, but yeah, I mean, you're playing a home game and we try to be as serious about our home game while still having fun. So if that's a rule and he did do what he... That's a rule. I mean, he, he raised and you were shocked by it. You're like, you raise? And then he's like, no, I called. I'm like, no, but look, you raise. Ugh. I did. I raised and then you raise and then... So, I mean, he, I am 100% in agreement here. I, I think that I feel bad for the guy, but he raised, so he's got to put the money out, and now it's been, you know, the action has changed to you. You have a decision to make. Do I just fold knowing I'm beat, or can I now bluff him? Because it's obvious if I bluff him, I have the queen. And, you know, or, or you could have the case eight, and then, you know, um, and then try to, you know, split the pot with the guy, but do it in a way that you can force him off too. But in this case, I agree. I mean, you're playing by the rules here and I don't think this is an unethical thing because you're clearly asking him, did you raise? And then he says, no. And then, but you did raise and you have to keep that money in because we would hold anyone else accountable for doing that. Why will we not hold you accountable? Just because you're the, the, the captain of the table, which is what he kind of said earlier, the rules guy. So right. you need to be held accountable for your mistake. I'm sorry, but put the money in. And then now he knows he's losing that money because he knows you're probably going to re-raise because you have a better hand. Then you're getting a better, more chance at more money. And so it's, it was a smart play on your part to win that pot. Um, you kind of feel like you got to take a shower afterward. Maybe it doesn't pass the smell test necessarily in some people, but I think you did everything that you needed to do to win that hand without without breaking rules. You know, I I, I don't I don't think you. You should feel too bad about what you did. Well, I think a lot of it's consistency too, again, because you're in a home game, as you mentioned, and you know rules are not as enforceable in a home game as they are in a casino. But that's up to the game to decide how how much they want to enforce that, right? Yeah. Um, so I think the standard really is the same as chopping. You know, uh, you want to chop? Yes, but we're going to do it every single time. You can't. I'm not going to not. Chop when you have aces, right? Right, so, right? so you know if if this is a game where it's a little loose and people are like, hey, I know you didn't mean to. I mean, take it back. Don't worry about it. Then I think that needs to be the standard set in the future. So if it happens the opposite way and Sam makes a mistake, 
I wouldn't want the guy to say, hey, no, you got to raise now and, and then be able to say, hey, wait a minute. You know, I didn't make you raise, la- you know, two months ago. So um, so I have no problem in a home game if home game have that kind of established um, departure from rules. Right. But it has to be clear and consistent. So, um, and the clearest and most consistent way is to just play by the rules. That way there's never any question. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com, and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Brian Dangramon. He says, I was playing in a West Michigan casino poker room Heads up on the flop, the cutoff raised, and the button started speculating out loud about the possible holdings of the cutoff. He was immediately shushed by the dealer. He was told there was no table talk ever, though other dealers might be a lot more lax on the issue. Sure enough, the next dealer allowed a lot more talking at the table. (laughs) So these guys are just testing every dealer as they come in, (laughs) even though they're just told five minutes ago, don't talk. Um, All right, so... Uh, he says uh, there's a lot more dealing uh, talking at the table, including about the hand in progress when there were three or more players to act. My understanding from my regular weekly bar game is that talking about a hand in progress is only allowed when there are two players in the hand, and that at that point they can talk about it all they want. Is there a standard rule concerning talking about an ongoing uh, hand during play? Elliot says, uh, TDA rule 68, no disclosure. Players must protect other players in the tournament at all times. Therefore, players, whether they're in the hand or not, must not, one, discuss contents of a non-table live or mucked hands, two, advise or criticize play at any time, three, read a hand that hasn't been tabled, one player to a hand is in effect, among other things, this rule prohibits showing a hand to or discussing strategy with another player, advisor, or spectator. Uh, Elliot goes on to say, in the first of two situations you described, player B was openly speculating about the contents of his lone opponent's hand. This would appear to violate the part of Rule 62, which prohibits discussing the contents of unseen live or mucked hands. This rule is generally used to prescribe the disclosure of a player's own holdings and to prevent the speculation of an opponent's holdings when there are more than two players still active in the hand. This rule is not usually invoked to prevent a player from speculating about his opponent's cards in a heads-up situation. I appreciate the dealer wanted to make sure the game was fair for everyone, but he appeared to be a tad overzealous in this spot. In the second situation, the dealer is letting players speculate with more than two active players in the hand without doing a thing or calling for the TD. This is something that definitely violates one player to a hand because open speculation is a form of instruction that would be advising one opponent against another. That should never be allowed. We all want every player player to be able to play poker, but this is simply too much and a violation of rule, he says, 62. Is it 62 or 68? <laughs> 62. Uh, the floor needs to be called over when this occurs every time. Well, because the, the rule at the yeah, top Yeah, I know, at the top, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, it's either 62 or 68. But, it's a rule. Um, so interesting, yeah. Two, two very different deci- um, situations, and the rule needs to be applied differently in each of them. Yeah, we've always sort of gone by the, if it's just you and one other guy or one other woman, then you're like, hey, you know, it's just me and you here. Even more specifically, it's usually when action is done. So, example, oh, not done, but where your opponent can't do anything else. Right. So, right. For example, your opponent went all in, and you're trying to decide whether to call, and you're the last one. So, your action is the last action. Yeah. So, 
you can't do anything to influence the action. You're just trying to make your own decision. Yeah. So talking out loud is right. some some people think better when they talk out loud too. And there was that whole remember that whole was it Negreanu in the World Series about talking about hands and that whole that was like a few years yeah. ago where they're you know you can't stop them from doing that. That's half their game, you know. And so, hmm. All right. Very good. Uh, you know what? We get to complete O'Malley's move today. It's always my favorite. So here comes part one. We'll meet you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, we're doing the old switcheroo. We'll be playing against O'Malley as a mid-30s gentleman who plays a tight, aggressive style. It's a 2-5 no-limit hold'em cash game, and we sit with around 400. O'Malley has around 600. The blinds post and O'Malley, under the gun, makes it $25 to go, his standard raise. It's folded around to us in the cutoff with the ace of clubs, king of hearts. We call the $25. Perhaps a raise would have been more beneficial. We're heads up going to the flop with about $50 in the pot after the rake. The flop is the ace of spades, jack of hearts, four of diamonds. This is a great flop for our hand, and O'Malley leads out for $35. We call. Perhaps a raise is in order here. There's around 120 in the pot, and the turn is the deuce of diamonds. This time, O'Malley leads out for $90. We've only invested $60 of our $400 stack. Calling this bet would put about $300 in the middle and reduce us down to $250. After a short think, we elect to call. With the pot at around 300, the river is the seven of diamonds. O'Malley asks how much we have while we quietly move our hands out of the way of our stack. He takes a visual inventory and then shoves. So, based on what you know about me, er, O'Malley, what's the move? Because of how the action went, we don't have a ton of information on O'Malley, uh, but he also doesn't have a ton of information on us. The only real draw that we would have been sticking around with on the flop is a weird Broadway draw, so it's hard for me to put O'Malley on us missing a draw. So that means we have some sort of made hand that he was willing to call the way down. So if he is shoving on us here, he has to think his made hand is better than ours, or hoping that we have the exact hand that we do and can only win with a big bet. I don't like calling off, off, off all my stack with a single pair, but the hair in my ears and never quits growing once you turn 46 tells me we might be good <laughs> It's true. It just keeps going. It's oh, man. Terrible. And it gets thicker as you shave it. I can braid it. It's ridiculous. Uh, well, I'm with you halfway here. I'm, I think <laughs> I wrote on the notes 50%. I, I don't like calling off my stack with one pair, no matter how good it is. Um, I also don't like calling every street. We had position and never used it to raise or take control. Um, he, he could have the same hand. Uh, he could have ace-jack uh, and has us crushed. Or he could have backed into a flush with any suited ace of diamonds. Um, so I think I'm folding because I just don't like to call off my with one pair. Um, and like I said, there just seems like we're beat, so I'm folding. Okay, here comes part two. Hello again. I've got to say, I really don't like the way we played this one. I think a raise at almost any point would have been more beneficial, whether that's pre-flop, on the flop, or maybe even the turn. O'Malley has taken aggression on every street, and we've done nothing but call, which does nothing to narrow his range. Maybe we can try to narrow it now. He raised preflop from under the gun, so we can eliminate some hands. It could be aces through nines, maybe, 
ace-king or ace-queen. I don't think he'd do this with king-queen or ace-jack, and I have that on good authority. What flush makes sense? Does a flush make sense? This can't be 5-3. What could he have? A set of jacks? Apparently, we think we have the best hand, so we call. O'Malley silently turns over the ace of diamonds, king of diamonds, for a rivered flush and rakes in the pot. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, play your strong hand strongly. I hope to see you on the felt. These hairs in my ears are useless. <laughs> uh, I'm with O'Malley and Chris, though, in, in that we play this hand way too timidly all the way to the end, which puts, put us in a tough spot. And in position, which should almost never happen. I mean, and position's everything, right? So, I mean, the fact that you had position and you messed it up, you didn't play the position the way you need, play with authority like you should. And, yeah. and that's in a bad spot. And Do I know O'Malley or what? <laughs> <laughs> ah, another good uh, O'Malley's move, though. And it, that was the first time I think he's done that, where we played yes. against him. So that was interesting. New little twist in his uh, series. <laughs> This is Daniel Negreanu of FullContactPoker.com. You're listening to Anti-Up. All right, sign with the advanced poker training.com. And of the week, send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And John Blake, I believe this is his first um, uh, writing to us, so... Uh, he said, uh, having a good read of my opponent is a key factor in this hand. It's a $20 home game tournament with unlimited rebuys up at the fourth level. Lines are 300 and 600 with no ante. The effective stack size is 7,100, and I'm in middle position. Uh, under the gun, plus one, limps for 600. I have played with her for years, and she will raise from any position with any pair and almost any ace or king. So when she limps, I take pocket pairs, ace 10 or better, King Queener and King Jack out of her range. Uh, and I look down at King of Diamonds, Jack of Diamonds. Okay, so she limped, and we have King Jack. Um, so we know we're ahead. We know we're doing better than her. And where were we in position, do you know? Uh, middle position, you said. We're in middle position. Okay. Um... I don't know. I hate this hand, to be honest with you. I mean, I just don't like this hand. I never liked the Kojak. Never liked Kojak. And it, the thing about it, too, is it's just a trap hand both ways, you know. Um, and you're making second best hands a lot, which is why they're trap hands. Uh, I've kind of redundant. So, uh, anyway, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just limp along, you know, and then, and then maybe hit it really well. Because there's other people behind me still to act. Basically, I'm looking to probably just let this hand go because I'm not focusing on this one person who came into the hand that we know all this history about because we don't know what's going to happen behind us. Um, just because I know what she might be playing doesn't mean that the guys behind me aren't going to raise and then I'm going to lose money for no reason. So I generally think about folding this hand, and if I'm not going to fold, if I'm going to play, I'm going to play it for a raise to hope to be knocking out everyone behind me, and then I go heads up with her with this hand. So I really don't want to just... I thought about limping because it's just a couple of suited, you know, Broadway cards or whatever, but you just get into trouble when you do that. So I'm either yeah. folding or raising. Considering it's hand of the week, I have to raise because I would just fold and the hand would be over and then we wouldn't be talking anymore. So I'm going to raise whatever 3X is, I guess. 
so it was uh, three hundred, six hundred. So well, she limped. So I don't know, maybe two grand. Okay. Well, I agree with you. This is either a razor fold. This is not a um, a call. Um, so uh, I, one, I'd like to know how how many people are at the table because if it's six handed, this it, it changes my a little bit. If it's sure. you know a nine or ten handed, then I'm definitely folding here. I'm just at that. So at this point, really, what you have to decide now is: Are you able to um, get everybody behind you to fold and get heads up? If you can do that, as you mentioned, we we feel very good that our hand is best right now, right? Right. But if we don't think that we can get everybody to fold behind us, now we're getting ourselves into trouble. Um, so uh, that's that's really the decision for me. I'm not at the table. I don't know who's there. I don't know how they play. So you know, if I, if I felt really good about um, getting them to fold, um, then I would sure I would go ahead and raise here, um, especially if it's a six-handed table. But if I had any concern at all that uh, I'm going to get a couple callers behind me or re-raise behind me, I'd rather just fold this and wait for a better spot. Yeah, good idea. All right. Uh, he says, well, I'm sure I'm ahead of her range. With the blinds and her limp, there's 1,500 in the pot. I want to isolate and play her heads up, so I make it 1,800 to go. So, Okay. All right. So same thing we said, but uh, we'll see whether that works. If it works, then I'm on Team John. If not, right. then I'm not on Team John. <laughs> uh, the cutoff calls. Her stack is 6,300. Uh, she is a loose passive player older than myself. Uh, and Scott can tell you that's pretty old. <laughs> Uh, the blinds fold uh, and the villain calls. So we have three way to the flop with 6,000 in the pot. So it could be worse, but uh, now we don't have position. And I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, now we got to hit, I think, right? Well, we can hope to hit. Otherwise, we got to at least just pretend like we have something. It doesn't matter. We took control of the hand, so we got to probably bet no matter what. Um, all right. The flop is 8 6 tray rainbow with a tray of diamonds. Um. And uh, the villain checks to us, so it comes to us now. All right, so the pot was six grand, six grand, yes. And we started with how much? Well, the, so the effective stack size is seventy one hundred. So I don't know. Oh. I assume it's either what we have or that's the you know you know. Um, well, I mean, I always see bet. Uh, I mean, I, I, I if I took control of a hand that someone limped into, I better have a hand. So I can't just check this flop. Um. I don't know. I would probably bet 20, 2500 something like that. Maybe twenty three hundred, and just hope that it, it's enough to take it down. They don't know if I have aces. They don't know if I have jacks or tens or you know whatever. So, you know, you got to represent and just checking is a mistake because then you're letting it the cutoff person who called steal it. You right. know, so you have to. You took control of this hand. You have to con- continue to control it. So I'm betting about like I said, maybe two thousand three twenty three hundred something like that. Yeah, I'm going off the read that he's describing. Uh, the cutoff is a loose passive, so loose means that she's in with all kinds of stuff. But passive means that she's not going to be aggressively uh, fighting back with us. So this flop probably missed everyone, including us. So the first one that bets usually wins this pot. So now that I'm in this mess, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to win. So yeah, I think I got to bet half the pot. Maybe I, I guess it depends. You know what my stack is too, but yeah, that's why I'm, I'm not sure what to bet there. I don't know how much we have. I mean, if, he said the effective stack was 7100. I don't know if we have 7100, then that would be half my stack. I'm probably just shoving, but um, but yeah, maybe maybe closer to 3000. I don't know. It just depends how much I have. But generally, the bet is you know what half the pot on the flop. So maybe or maybe 23 2500 is, is enough to get it done. 
Okay. Uh, he says, if the villain caught any part of this flop, she would have bet. So when she checks, I think the flop probably missed the cutoff also. Uh, so I bet 2700 Okay, yeah, that's right between what you and I were saying. So yep. that's about not right. Bad. <clears throat> uh, I'm not sure why what the villain checking means at the cutoff probably yeah, missed. I don't either. <laughs> Those are two independent things, but but still, I, I, I think I know where he's thinking, so we'll, I know what happens. The cutoff folds, all right, so that's good, and the villain calls, and he says she hates to fold. <laughs> uh, well, that's kind of a problem now, because we're betting to get her to fold, if she hates to fold, now we really have to hit to win this hand, right? Probably. Right. right. Again, it depends. I mean, we, we thought we were ahead of her, but, you know, you know, any there's going to be five cards at the end here, so she could pair any one of them and be better than that. That's that right. Point. That's, That's right. Probably. All right, the turn is the six of diamonds. <laughs> so that means it's uh, eight, six, tray, six, with two diamonds on board, and the villain checks again. Ooh. Well, if you check behind, you're getting a free card to make the flush um, or to hit a king or a jack. Um, if she has a six... You know, you're never getting her off this hand, so shoving isn't going to help. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. If she um, if she had us beat and she calls everything, then what amount could you bet? <clears throat> if you shove and she has a six, you're screwed. So you might as well check behind, try to get that free card to make a hand that's better than three sixes, um, or at least try to hit a piece in case she had an eight or some sort of. Well, I guess he said before she wouldn't. She wouldn't limp with an overpair to this, like nine. So, yeah, I'm hoping that uh, we get the free card here and hit the king, the jack, or the diamond, and then uh, then you know you're good. Because I think betting isn't going to help this situation. She's going to call your bet. Um, you know, even if you shove, I mean, she has three sixes. She's not going anywhere. So you're probably just wasting money that way until you know the river. You got a free chance to check and get a free card out of it. I'm going to do that. Yeah, I think all this changes for me based on what we know about or what we're being told about the villain. So uh, she hates to fold, which doesn't mean she never folds, but it's the chances of her folding are much less than somebody else. So um, looking ahead here, we have 2,600 left in our stack. So if we're going to bet, it's going to be all in. Oh, we have 2,600 left in our stack? Yeah. I didn't know so, that. Okay, so. Um, so yeah, so it's going to be an all-in bet. And at this point, again, we have king high. Um, now the diamonds help a little bit. It gives us some more cards to hit. Um, but um, if she calls, then then we almost certainly have to hit. I would think at that point. Um, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that she's just sticking around with Queen Ten or something like that. You know, right. unless it's diamonds. If it's diamonds, then that's fine. But um, so against most players, I would shove here and try to, to bet my way out of this. But I, if, she, if she's just going to call anyhow, I might as well just check and then hope for the best on the river and pick up on those cards like you said that that actually improves our hand then great i don't mind calling or shoving it on the river but um if we miss everything you know hopefully it goes check 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 and then or check 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 yeah and um and then we win at that point or if not we're at least still in the tournament so i did the math he was the effective stack if you add up all of his raises and everything bets that's 7100 and so i mean I don't, I don't know if that changes what i would have done on that flop <clears throat> probably not um but I mean that is a pretty big chunk of your stack. Twenty seven hundred out of you take eighteen hundred out of seventy one hundred, so a thousand off that is sixty one, and then eight so fifty three hundred. He bet more than half of his stack on that flop. Well, yeah, I mean now that you think if you go back and look at it that way again, we had less than twelve big blinds at that point, right? Yeah. 
So at that point, had we raised, it shouldn't have been the 1800, it should have been a shove. And if a shove would have really frozen everybody else out of the hand, which is what we talked about, either you want to do that or you're not. Um, so, but now knowing that this woman hates to fold, uh, that this is not the hand I'm going to make my Waterloo here. <laughs> so yeah. I would definitely fold it at that point now. So. Yeah, we got ourselves into trouble by not paying attention to our chip stack and the blinds and and um, the levels and, and what we could have done. So, um, so you know, now with twenty six hundred left, that's four big blinds, right? So, yeah. That's... Again, all the more reason now to shove against a normal player, but if she's just going to call. I would rather <clears> take <throat> a chance. I got some way of staying alive in this this hand but um I, but, I can't imagine fold, there's no way i'm folding at this point there's too much in that pot and i have nothing left so yeah the shove the shove to me just gets her to she you're, you're you're shoving for less than you bet the last street and that six probably only helps her obviously in the sense that you know it made it another pair for her to have two pair or it made her three sixes or it didn't change anything for her so she's not going to fold 2600 so why shove and waste that money when you can you know she's not going to fold. You're not. You have to hope to hit on one street. So I'm checking behind, and if we somehow make our hand, we're happy. And if we don't make our hand, then, um, you know, then we have that. She might check at the end again because that's what she does. Seems to be passive. Is check call check call. So she checks at the end. You've got four big blinds or whatever. Maybe you shove in the next one, double back up, and then whatever. So you always want to be alive. As a tournament's about, it's not a cash game. I mean, I know you said there's unlimited rebuys, but I don't know if we're in that level yet. Fourth level, he said. Fourth level. Yeah. So, uh, you can't so, imagine. Yeah. 600, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> I don't know what their blind levels are. But, uh, right. yeah, so let's just check. All right. Uh, here it says, I'm confident that I had the best hand, and if not, I picked up the second nut flush draw, so I shoved the last 2,600 in my stack. The villain tanks for about two minutes and then makes the call. River, River is the ten of hearts, so final board was eight, six, tray, six, ten. And she rolls over the Queen of Hearts, ten of diamonds. <laughs> oh no! Her, her friend said, "What?" And she replied, "Well, I know he didn't have a six. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Because obviously, most of the time, I get the better of her. In fact, uh, last night she aggressively bet a king high board all the way to the river, and when I floated with four five and, and turned trip fives, but oh wow! So what exactly is she? thinking she has the whole hand i don't understand she thought queen height was good the whole way because he didn't have a six to have trips i don't get it wow yeah i right. give her our address we're gonna have more home games if she comes <laughs> i was gonna say i mean so in one way she's a tougher opponent to play against because of that um but in another way it makes it a little bit easier you just but she's the type of player that uh, I describe like that that influences your action, right? So she's obviously not a very good player, and you kind of know her stone cold, but because she's in the game, it really affects how you have to play, um, and it, it gets more difficult at that point. So, I mean, that's the reason there that I, I definitely would have folded there because um, I knew she was going to call, and this wasn't the hand that I wanted to, to go out on. So, um but it, it also depends whether other people know that as well too. So if it, it, it could influence all their play as well too. So yeah, you, and you say that often on the show too about how you would rather play someone of your ability or better than you than someone who doesn't even really understand the power of their own hand or whatever because it's just so difficult to play them. In this situation, like we always 
we always recommend playing ABC poker against those type of players because you're just you're just not going to get fancy with them because they're not going to understand it or comprehend it. So in this case, would you what would you do differently knowing that she plays this way and she had that queen ten? I mean, what do you, you do the shove thing we we're talking about earlier, right? Because she wouldn't call it queen ten with a shove. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise bigger with my big hands against a player like that because I know I'm gonna get called, right? Yeah. So you know now it doesn't mean I'm gonna wait for my big hands. You can't do that. But when I get you know, I'm not worried. I mean, I think just last week we had somebody write in about, you know, checking monsters and hoping for people to catch up. Yeah. I mean, this is a player that you want to get those monsters against and bet them big because you're not afraid like you normally are of them, of everybody folding and not getting value out of it. You're going to get value out of this person. So, the, But the problem is now that you it, it takes bluffing out of your, your bag of tricks yeah. as long as that person is still active in the hand. So. You know, so I guess my strategy, and I hate to build my whole strategy around one player, but you know, when she folds, that's my opportunity to play my normal game and, and open my range and play stuff, um, and play position and play hands that are a little weaker because of position. But as long as she's still in the hand, I got to have something now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, or or a hand that's got a good chance of catching up at some point because obviously um, it's going to go to showdown and. You know, at the end, there's no way around this. At showdown, you have to have the best hand. Yeah, uh, brutal. Well, you know what, John? Welcome to the show. And I'm cru- sorry, it's Honda too. I forgot his nickname there, but he's uh, from our cruises. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the first time he wrote, wrote into us, right? Right, right. Yeah, but I just it was. It was um, yeah. <laughs> now, now that I got to the end and I remember the nickname, now I put a lot more in perspective. So all right. Well, I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.